So today I'm going to be sharing, I'm privileged to share um, a word on worship. Um, and worship is something that we, we all have done. And most of the times we kind of relate it to the songs that we sing in church. So before service, even now, we had a worship time. And every Sunday we have worship. And this is something that we do so many times. And it's something that we, if we do it so much, that we have to understand how important it is. We can't just do it blindly, but we have to grasp and have a deeper knowledge. And that will hopefully lead us into a deeper sense of worship. So whenever those Sunday mornings and the times that we gather here, those things could be um, spurned by a true understanding of what worship is. Um, and it's a privilege for me too that I actually ended up being able to preach on worship because this was something that I was in my own time where I was dwelling on the word of God and it was something completely different. It was something for more more personal from, for, for my walk, but it led me to have a deeper understanding into what worship is. And it happened to be that when this opportunity came, it just aligned really well for me to be able to share what I learned. Um, and so the title of the message is Worship 101. And the reason why I titled it Worship 101 is because I want to, it's, it's, what I'm bringing today is going to be kind of, uh, I'm going to take a whole glance on the idea of worship, but this is something that doesn't end here. This is something that is meant to be taken each personally and studied and taken deeply so that we can truly understand what worship is. Um, and with that being said, I'm going to share the, our anchor verse or the key verse that we're going to be dissecting and trying to understand so that we can understand worship. Um, and this verse is one that most of us have heard before, especially when it comes to worship. And it's found in John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. And I'm going to read this. It says, But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so this verse comes in a context of where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan women. And that context is obviously in the Gospel of John. And so in order to kind of have a very uh, a good grasp of this, we kind of have to understand how this is brought to us. Because there is a theme from the beginning of John all the way to the part where Jesus speaks to the Samaritan women. Um, and one thing that I want to highlight is where it says, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So we have two, two categories or two classifications as to what goes into worship. And so we're going to dig deep into these two different categories, spirit and truth. Um, and so as we, in order to understand this, the way you know, the Gospel of John is written, everything that we need to understand this verse is given to us from the beginning of John chapter 1 all the way to John chapter 4. Um, and there's a theme that follows. And the main theme that carries throughout John is one thing, and it is 
about who Jesus is. And it wants to teach us and it wants to um, show us the true identity of who Jesus is. And that is the main point or that is the basis of what we're, we will build today's message on or that is how we understand what worship is, is by understanding who we worship. And so we're going to go to John chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 5, and then I'm going to read 10 to 13. And I want to illustrate to you kind of the theme by reading these two different passages and explaining to you um, who we worship, because that is the basis of this whole sermon. And so we'll go to John chapter 1, and this is what it says. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. And so right away, John goes straight to who Jesus is. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. He explains to us who Jesus is. Jesus came into time, but he existed before that. And so he paints to us who Jesus is. Jesus is not just a man, he's not just another prophet, but he is God who is before time, and through him everything was created. And he is life, and he is light to man. And then later, in verse 10, it says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not, phys not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so that illustrates to us the very first aspect of the verse, or our anchor verse, where it says, you must worship him in spirit and truth. This highlights to us what happens for the first aspect, which is the spirit to take place. Jesus, who was existed before time, before everything, has created everything, but his creation has forgotten him. His creation has sinned against him, and so they are forever separated from God, and that's us. We've sinned against God, and so we've been separated from God. So we have a dead spirit within us. So he comes into the world and it says no one recognizes him. He is the light. He is the creator. And so you see it throughout John. He keeps on walking and he's interacting with people, but these people don't recognize who he is. And even though he does miracles, even though he does wonders, they attribute him to saying he's just a prophet. And so all this time, it's Jesus who is God, and we're, we get to follow Jesus from the beginning, and we get to see how he interacts with people. We get to know he's God, but these people don't know who he is. And the very first thing that, that comes, in order to understand what the spirit aspect is, is to understand the very last verse. It says, they are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. This aspect or the spirit is being reborn again. And how does that happen? 
The reason why Jesus came into the earth is so that he can take on all of the punishment or all of the judgment that was placed on all of us so that we can be free from that. In the Old Testament, when you read about the tabernacle, when you read about where God was, he, he lived among the Israelites, and everything that was used to worship him had to be purified, had to be completely holy. And so in order for something to be used to glorify God, it had to be sanctified. It can't have any filth in it. And in, in God's sight, sin is filth. Sin is a thing that disables us from coming close to God and interacting with God. And so what God has to do is he has to come and he has to remove our sins so that we can be able to be purified and to be pure and to be able to approach him. But the thing is, we have to recognize that. We have to know that this Jesus is the one who's paid the price for us. And through that recognition, what he says is, in, in, in chapter 1, it says he, Jesus gives the right to those who believe and accept him to be the children of God. So the, the power or authority of every one of us to be able to worship in spirit is given to us or that privilege is handed to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that gives us that privilege. And we are not able to gain it on our own, but it's through belief. You did not work your way through this, but it's through belief in Jesus Christ. So the first step is recognition. And so in order to worship God, the only people that are able to worship him are those who recognize him in the light that the word of God preaches. It's that he's the creator. He's the one that comes before time. He's the one that is existed and everything else is created through him. And so you don't need anything else to be saved, but you only need Jesus Christ. And that aspect you have to recognize before you're able to come into the presence and to approach him. And this aspect of the spirit is not a sense of feeling that you have in your heart. It's not identified by that. It's identified by the faith that you have in that. It is held by faith. It is a guarantee because no one can take this away. Like I said, Jesus comes before everything, and everything is created from him. So nothing has authority over Jesus. And so if something is given by Jesus, no one can take that right away from you. And so this spirit, this aspect of worshiping, no one can take it away. And so the amazing thing is those who are saved, those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who accept him can worship him with full confidence because it is all done by him. Their whole salvation is received through the gift that he's given and not by the works that they have. So this is not something that you can lose. If you're feeling that you can't worship because you've lost it, that is not true. You have to have faith that this spirit that God has sealed you, sealed you with, no one can take away. And so that is the very first aspect. But the second aspect is what I really want to dwell on. And that aspect is where it talks about truth. It says, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And in order to understand that, we have to redefine or define what worship is in our minds. Worship is not the things that we do outwardly, like it's not the songs that we sing, it's, it's, not the, 
it's not the actions that we have, but it is the position of our heart. It, worship is an issue of the heart. So the, the one thing about that, the, what that shows us is two people singing or two people being here in this presence and singing, one can be worshiping and one cannot be. You cannot judge it based on what they're doing outwardly. It's their hearts that needs to be questioned. And one thing that I want to say is many of times that when we worship or when we're in the time of worship, we feel like we're being judged or we're scared because we're going to be judged. And that is, not, that is not of the spirit. That is an attack that is coming to distract you. What, if, if it can't be judged from the physical for what you're doing outside, it can only be judged from the heart, who else but God can see your heart? No one can see your heart except God. And what that tells us is worship is for God alone. We don't worship for other people to see us. We don't worship because it is tradition. We worship because it is for God, and God sees the heart. And the amazing thing is you can't fool God. Nothing is hidden from God. You can fool other people. You can come in here, and you could do all of the extravagant things, but if your heart is not right, it doesn't matter. It is a position of the heart. And in order to fully grasp that, we need to look at Romans 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's dissect that. It says, therefore. That means what, what came before this for Paul to say, therefore. He, from Romans chapter 1 to 11, he's illustrating what is salvation, what Jesus had to do, that we were still sinners and God came into the earth and died for us while we were still sinners. We were enemies of God and God chose to die for us. One of the things is when he was speaking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus came up to him at night, and this is in John chapter 3, and he says, you know, I see all of the miracles that you're doing, so you must be a prophet. And Jesus right away responds, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. It, it seems like a random response. It, he's not even answering Nicodemus, but you, you see that he's answering a deeper question because Nicodemus is coming to him and saying he's a prophet, and Jesus right away says, no, I'm not just a prophet. I am God. I am the Messiah, and it's only through me. And it's through that conversation that we get the famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, so whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. And so that is what the therefore is connecting to. It's the fact that Jesus has finished the work. Jesus, who is the creator of you, has paid for the price of your sins. And the most amazing thing, one, one, as I was studying, there was one uh, quote that I read that I found funny, but it was also good as well. But he, would just, he just said, it was a pastor, and he said, if anyone accuses you or makes fun of you because of an evil did you, deed you did, don't get angry because you are more evil than that. You are worse than whatever accuses you. No one knows your heart, but your heart is more evil. And so understand this, Jesus who sees you Whoever on the outside might think you're the worst person, Jesus sees what is actually really bad. It sees your heart. 
yet he's the one who died for you. So you can have confidence in that. No accusation from the enemy can ever come because Jesus has seen the worst of you and he's died for you. And so he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. What that points to us is these, he's speaking to people who are born again. He's speaking to brothers and sisters. So anyone who is born of God is brothers and sisters through the Spirit. And he says, in view of God's mercy, so having this picture that Jesus Christ has died for you, and he's given you a new life, he says, to, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. You're living. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And what that shows us is it highlights to us how worship is not something that you do on a Sunday morning, but worship is rather your life lived in sacrifice. It's your life lived knowing that this life that I live right now is paid by the precious blood of Christ. It's not bought by money. It's not bought by something that we might value here on earth, but it's bought by the precious blood of Christ, of God himself who came down and died for you. There is a new life. So that recognition of that truth can only lead you to worship, can only lead you to sacrifice yourself to God. One thing when we read about the many times the, our salvation is compared to in the Old Testament when the Israelites escaped Egypt. And the last plague was the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. And then after that, they escaped. And God says, look, I saved all your firstborn. Your firstborn don't die. So you have to submit and give your firstborn to me so that they can worship. And so it was an equal, almost an equal tra uh, transaction that they recognized that every firstborn that they have it's because God saved them. And so they have to give this to God in worship or an act of worship. And so for us, it wasn't the firstborn of our family that was saved. We were saved from eternal judgment. This is eternal life. And so our only response to God is giving our whole eternal life in worship to him. That is the only response that you have to what God has done. And so... That's what I mean by it is not the songs you sing, but it is the position of your heart. And to very much highlight this, I'm going to read Amos chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. I'm not going to lie, that was the first time I read that book. And this is God speaking to the people of Israel. Okay? And he says, I hate when God says that it's very... <laughs> It's very clear. I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship and offering, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to, your, to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteous, like a river righteousness, like a never-failing stream. Do you see how critical God was in the beginning? He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. This act of singing to God without your having this right standing in your heart. God sees the heart. 
He's not fooled by what we do. He's not fooled by tradition. And this is, this is what the Israelites were doing. They're saying, look, they were doing everything that God doesn't like, yet they were still following the traditions and the things that he's given them. And that is the falter of anyone that comes to God thinking that they can fool him through the outward actions. And the reason why God says this, he specifically details it in verse 25 to 26. He says, did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made yourself. And that is the problem. Anytime that we don't choose to worship God, we are replacing God for idols in our hearts. And for those who have had this huge price, this precious blood paid for you, to have an idol in your heart is the most disgraceful thing, if you think about it. God came to give you a new life so that you can live for him, but instead you use the freedom to worship other things. And because of that, God is fully despising that. And this is actually spoken to believers. And we could even have a New Testament um, way of describing this. And we could go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. And this is what it says. It says, We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And we know, and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. Dear children, Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Do you guys see how many times the word true came up in there? The very first thing, verse 19 says, We know that we are children of God. This is spoken to children of God. Verse 21 is such a grave warning to all of us. This is something that can happen to children of God. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. And verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. How do we keep away from idols? It's by recognizing the will of Jesus Christ. The reason why he's done and he, uh, he's, he, he died to save us and to give us a new life is so that we can continue to know him. It's not so that we can remain stagnant in our faith, but it's so that we can continue to know him. And so the amazing truth about that is the promise that every time that any of us come to the word of God, any time that you come to worship, any time that you, get, you draw closer to God, God always draws closer to you. You have this will to rely on and to trust on that. Whenever you seek for him, you will find him. And you are children and he is your father. So if you ask, he won't deny that. And, and, the later, and then later it says, and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. And 
that is what I really want to focus on. And actually, that is what we've been talking about for the past three sermons. We've been talking about dwelling in the Word of God. We've been talking about, it's not just about reading, it's not just about memorizing, but it's about completely meditating and seeing that application of what we read through our life. It says we live in fellowship with the true God. We, we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. You have to live in complete fellowship with Jesus Christ. You have to not only hear the word of God, recognize him and be saved, but you have to continue to remain and abide in Jesus Christ. He is the vine and we are the branches. You have to remain in order for your life source to remain in you. And that is the only way you could rid yourself or keep yourself away from anything that might take God's place. We don't go after every single idol that is in our lives and we don't go and try to attack them or we don't go to anything that might take our attention and try to attack one by one. We draw closer to God. Not, God is completely holy, which means he is separated and he has made you holy. What that means is when you draw closer to him, it means that it's only you and him. You are holy and separated with him meaning everything else, all of these things that might try to take over your life, that might try to take over your heart, cannot come into this and disturb this. Unless you're not drawing closer to Jesus Christ, unless you're being distracted, then that is when these idols start to take over in your life. And one thing I wrote down is being idle leads to idols. What I mean by that is most of the times we live in a way that we think, you know, you, you might have had a good, a good time meditating in the Word of God, reading the Word of God, I don't know, maybe for a couple of weeks. Then you leave it alone, you're, you, you're busy, and so your life gets busy, and so you think, you know, if I leave it alone, I'll remain right here, and until I come back to pick it up. You're either losing in the spiritual world or you're gaining. You cannot remain stagnant. And so anytime that you leave the word of God, anytime you don't have that passion, you're actually losing at a higher rate than you actually think you are losing or you actually think or you know that you're losing. And the way to truly understand this is to even look at, to, let's go to Romans chapter 12 and look at verse uh, 2. Right after the one I just talked about where he's talking about um, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Right after this verse, he speaks to us about how we could remain in this state of living and holy sacrifice unto God. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The very first part, do not conform to the pattern. What is the pattern of this world? You guys don't have to go there, but I'm going to go to Romans chapter 1. If you want, you can follow me, but I'm going to detail out what this pattern is, and I'm going to come back. And it's Romans chapter 1, verse 18. This is the inverse of truth. God, in Jesus, when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, he says, you have to worship God in spirit and truth. So I want to highlight what do people that don't worship God do? 
And the answer is right here, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress truth. The very other thing that God demands in order to worship him truly, they suppress truth. Why is truth suppressed? Later we said, in verse 21 it says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead Coming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. They suppressed truth because they recognize who God is. God is undeniable in this world. He's revealed everywhere to each and every single person. But if you accept truth, if you accept this light, then your sin is exposed. Then you're exposed to how God great is and how, how God is so great and how you've sinned against this great God. And so that's why they suppress truth. Truth cannot be heard. The enemy, the, the, the enemy is against truth. It's not against you. It's against truth. And so if, if the enemy doesn't want us to worship God, its goal and its focus is to suppress and hold down truth. Because if truth comes into our lives, if we focus and remain in truth, then our only response, like I said before, is to worship and glorify God. And so coming back to the verse, it says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, the pattern of suppressing truth, the pattern of recognizing who God is but not giving him thanks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What do we say about God's will? Jesus Christ came so that we can continually get to know him. That's what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to this pattern. Anytime that you're leaving or you're losing that passion in your heart, you're falling into the pattern of this world, which is suppressing truth and trading it for other things in life. And to really understand that, we, we also go back to the parable of the farmer and the seed. And you guys remember that parable where the farmer is throwing seed, and there's four different, uh, different soils. Um, and it shows us that the seed is the word of God, and the soil is the heart of men. And the one I want to focus on is the one where it's the third one, where it is thrown among good soil, but there is weeds around it. And these weeds grasp or choke the seed that was planted inside that soil. And one of the things that is crucial to, to understand about this is to, I actually looked at how weeds grow and how weeds affect plants. And the one thing is, number one thing is, weeds grow fast. They populate fast. If you leave your garden unintended, if there's one weed, the next time you come back, there'll be many of them, and you can't even see where the plant was, where it was planted. If you ignore God's word, if you say you'll come back to it, you're leaving this ground unchecked for weeds to grow and to take a place where God's word is supposed to take a place in your heart. The second thing is, 
weeds take the resource of the plant. The sunlight is still there, the water is still there, but the plant doesn't get it. It is taken up by these weeds in this life. The weeds take up the nutrients from the soil, the plant doesn't get anything to grow, and the weeds choke up this plant. And the second thing, the third thing is, weeds separate plants from other plants. The word that is planted in your heart, for example, we're studying about worship. Another week, we're going to study about another aspect of what the Word of God is speaking to us. But those who don't dwell in the Word of God and those who are not cultivating or caring for this soil, these weeds grow up and they begin to separate the Word. You're not able to connect and see the bigger picture in the Bible. You're not able to understand the full message because these weeds have grown and they've separated and they've um, separated these plants. And so you're not able to understand or grasp the full knowledge of who God is. And in the end, weeds kill. Weeds kill the plants. Whatever that was planted in your heart, if it's not something that is taken care of, if it's not something that you are always going back to check and to cultivate, it will end up dying if there's weeds around it. And that is the worst aspect. This seed that was planted, the one that was planted in good soil, it begins to bring fruit 30 times, 60 times, up to 100 times more. The word that is planted in your hearts has the power to save your souls, has the power to change your life, has the power to transform you. But it only has that because you cultivate it and you take care of it and you notice how precious it is. That is why God says, come after me like you would go after treasures. Cry out to me because you understand how precious this word that you've received is. And through that, that is how you continue to grow spiritually. And that's what we talked about last time. We have to grow spiritually. It's not enough for us to just be born and stay in that place. One thing that I was speaking to my dad recently and he talked about how we, those who are born, again, are in the kingdom of God. And when we're born spiritually, we're like a new baby, right? And those, a baby knows the nurture of their parents, how the parents love them, but that's where it ends. It doesn't have that much knowledge. It's not mature. But those who get to grow in this kingdom get to know who the king is, his power, how he can provide, how he is Lord. Those people have the ability to enjoy themselves within this kingdom. There is a blessing in growing in the knowledge of God and growing because your walk with God becomes mature and you know God in such a deep and new way. And the devil can't come to trick you or to destroy you or to make you stumble because you know what truth is. You can understand and you can discern what lies are and you know and you can single out truth and what is good to you. You know the proper will of God. And so that is why it is important to be vigilant and aware. That is the only way we can stay in Christ. And Ephesians talks about the armor of God. But if you read it right before that, it's talking about, you know, we're not at war with flesh, but we're at war with principalities and powers in the spirit of darkness. And it says, right before it goes into explaining the full armor of God, it says, remain in the precepts of God. 
remain in it. It's not something that you are working out necessarily, but it's something that you're remaining in. Believe that when you're reading the word of God, believe that when you're meditating in the word of God, you're in the safest place you can be. You're in the strongest place you could be. You're completely surrounded by the precepts of God. And that is why it is important to meditate on the word of God. That's why we've been continuing to come because if you're idle, if you're continuing to ignore the word of God, you continue to grow idols in your heart. And the last thing that I want to go into, and this is my favorite part, it is, um, the subtitle is The Cost and reward of worship. Once we understand what worship is, I said it's not just the songs we sing, but it is the position of your heart. It is everything that you do outside with recognition of who God is. And so, as we studied, if the world hates God, if the world wants to suppress truth, and you're living in this truth, and you choose to worship him, your life is going to look completely different from what the world is living like. And the world is going to hate you. So there is a cost to worshiping God. If it is a position of your heart and you choose certain decisions that other people or your friends don't choose, you come, with, you come against criticism, you come against rejection, you come against losing things. It costs to worship God. But the other thing that we have to remember, God says, don't worry about the persecution. Don't worry about the rejection. Worry about worshiping me. I'll pay for that. The tab is on God. God will reward you in heaven. And sometimes when we choose to worship God, when we choose to honor God, God honors us here on earth. But even if he doesn't, we continue to worship him, knowing that he'll, he'll glorify or he'll reward us in heaven. And you guys remember the story of Daniel and his friends. The big statue was set up, and they were told that they have to worship, and if they don't worship, they'll be thrown into this furnace. And what they said, they, they, they brought up the heat of the furnace to scare them, all of this, and near the end, when they're about to throw them, they still give them another chance, and they say, look, whether God saved us or not, we will not bow down to the image that you've created. We know who our God is. We've seen who God is. Whether he saves us here on earth or not, we'll continue to worship him. And that should be the same mindset that we have. Whether that we gain or lose here on earth, it doesn't matter. God will continue to reward us. If it's not here, it's going to be in heaven. And the number two thing is, right after they, they went into the furnace, they came out because God saved them. And an amazing thing, it says, not even the smell of smoke was on their clothes. Not even the smell of smoke. They were in this huge furnace, but not even the smell of smoke was on their clothes. And this speaks to the eternal salvation that we receive and the reward that we receive. Even if you're persecuted here, even though you're rejected here, even though you're despised here, you will never have the stench of hell on your clothes because you will be clothed in the righteousness of God. That is a complete reward that you receive. Not even the stench of hell will be on you because you've been clothed in righteousness. And in tandem with the reward that we just spoke about, we're going to go to Romans chapter 6, verse 22. And this details out more for us, this reward, 
And I want to, this, when I read this, it totally amazed me and it totally changed the way that I view heaven and eternity. And once you get there, I'll read it. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now you are here, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that leads to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It says you're free from sin and you've been made holy unto God. You have been, like I talked about, before you could come into the presence of God and be used for God, you have to be made holy, you have to be made sanctified. And God takes care of that through his son. And you've been made holy, what? To worship God. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. You've been made holy to worship God. And one thing I want to say is, Everything will pass away. Those who worship stars, they will pass away with the stars. Same with the sun and moon and people who worship idols here on earth and people who even worship themselves, they too will die and they too will pass away. But those who worship God live forever because God's glory lives forever. Even eternity is chasing after God's glory. Eternity is a gift of God. God is larger than eternity itself. Eternity is gifted through God. And so eternity, even itself, this vast thing that we can't even imagine, that we can't even comprehend, is within God. And so those who worship God live forever because God's glory lives forever. Therefore, a child of God, for a child of God, the goal is not eternity in heaven, but rather the goal is worship. And eternity is a necessity of worship because his glory is never ending. Eternity has to exist for you to continue to worship him forever. And so our goal is not eternity in this heaven. Our goal is to worship God. But in order to worship God, eternity must exist. How wonderful is that? Heaven must exist in order for us to worship. And so the outcome of worship is eternal life. We don't worship because we have eternal life. We worship because we, worship leads to eternal life. And so to the world, worshiping God and living in a way that is a living sacrifice to God is foolishness to the world, but to us, it is eternal life. That is what it means to us. And the very opposite is also true. If God's glory lives and continues forever, those who choose not to worship God go against eternity and worshiping God. And that results in the wrath of God. That is eternal judgment. How crazy is that? Eternal judgment. But for all who believe in Jesus Christ, Christ has paid that eternal judgment so that we can worship God. And that should give us a sense of hunger and a sense of, like Yoni was talking about, to go after people who don't know the word of God. Because what is waiting on the other end is eternal judgment. And we have to hurry them into the understanding that we have 
to worship God, to know who this God is, that if you see, if you get to see his glory, if you get to see this truth, I promise you, you will understand what the reason of worship is. Your only response will be worship to God. I remember a long time ago, one of my friends said, like, wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be boring in heaven if all we do is worship God? And, and to that, what I say is, if you understand who he is, if you understand how his glory is never ending, there will always be a new song to sing to God. And it's something that we can start here. Even here throughout your whole life, you'll begin to read the word of God, you'll begin to know God, but it's never ending. It starts here. Whatever you start here will continue to go on into heaven. And lastly, what I want to talk about is a form of worship, which is singing and praising God in songs. Like I said, worship is the position of the heart, and out of that comes the way that we respond is worship. But worship could be in many different avenues. And one of the most amazing avenues is songs and hymns. That's why we sing. And the art of music or the gift of music was given by God. It's not a creation of man. It's given by God so that we can worship him. If you read many descriptions of what heaven is going to be like, and if you read revelations, a lot of times what you see is these thousands gathered and singing unto God. This is something that even happens in the assembly of heaven. Worship in songs and singing is a heavenly thing. But yet we have the privilege and the joy of being able to do that here on earth. And so one of the most amazing things is music is able to move you in a way. God has created it in such a wonderful way. We can't seem to grasp it or understand why it's so critical to our lives and why we enjoy it so much. But God designed it in that way for us to be able to worship him in such a deeper sense. And so all of us have been given, at least us here, we've been able to give, we have the gift of our voice. We're able to actually vocalize this worship. And so when we hear, the wor when we hear worship, when we hear the words, we have to use our vocals. We have to express our gratitude to God through our singing. It is important that you sing because, and Amos, as you remember, says, I will not hear your music, which means God hears music. God hears you singing. The worship is not between, it's not for other people, for the people that are gathered here. It's between you and God. And God seeks for you to vocalize and open and make, make your voice heard unto him. And so that is why we sing, and that's why when we gather together, that is why it is important for you to vocalize and sing to God. And, but in order for that to happen, I'm going to circle back and finish with this. The most important thing is what you do at home, what you do when you're alone. The most important thing is if you're meditating in this truth, if you're meditating in the word of God and making that a reality in your life. Then when you come to church, or then when you come to a service, and there is worship, you don't want to miss worship. Worship is not something that becomes boring to you because you understand and see who God is, and you praise him for the truth that he's revealed to you. And that is, what we, that is, that is why we sing, and that is the importance of singing. So I don't want you to guys to think that the songs that we sing, the gathering on Sundays, 
is some tradition or something like that. It is created by God for us to worship him and glorify him. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to end in worship. And I want everyone to dwell on the truth of God in light of what God has done for us, in light of what Jesus has done for us. For all of us, he's given us a new life. He's given us the forgiveness of sin, and he's given us the privilege of worship. You don't have to worship. You get to worship. You have to express this joy through what you've heard. What is the point of you having a voice, but you can't vocalize it? It's not for everyone in this room. It's, so, it's for God. God has given you this gift of your voice, so vocalize it. And so I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to worship, and then we're going to close it in prayer. God, my Father up in heaven, Lord, we thank you, God, for the gift that you have given us, God. My Father, though we were still sinners, though we were still your enemies, God, you came and died for us, God. And my Father, you died for us, God, for a new life that you have given us, God. And you urge us, God, to live this life unto you, God, to live this life in sacrifice for you, God. And my Father, it's you, God, who started this work in our hearts. And my Father, up in heaven, the word that you have planted in our hearts, let it not be something that falls away, God, but let it be something that is planted deep in our hearts, God. My Father, up in heaven, something that we value, God, something that we cry for, God, something that we protect, God. My Father, up in heaven, for the enemy wants to come, God, and steal and kill, God, what you've planted, God. But my Father, up in heaven, we know, God, and we see, God, the value of your word, the value of your truth, God. And my Father up in heaven, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth, God. We are born again. We are your children, God. My Father up in heaven, in heaven when we come to you, God, we will sing. We will start it here on earth, God. Your glory is never ending as we continue to behold you. As it is your will, God, for us to get to know you deeper. And then leading us, God, into true understanding of who you are. We come in proper response and worship to you, God. Lord, you are our, the only one in the audience, God. You are the one who hears every single heart. You are the one, God, who loves us, God, beyond, God, what we can imagine or what we can fathom, God. And so, my Father, up in heaven, as we draw in, as we sing to you, Lord, may it please you, God. May it, God, please your, your heart, God. My Father, up in heaven, may you be glorified by it, Lord. We thank you, God, for the gift that you've given us, God, and we glorify you, God.